0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Farm Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Burns, Doctor of Pharmacy. I'm joined by my co-host, Christopher Toney, Doctor of Pharmacy. There are 4 million podcasts in the United States, but we're certainly glad you're choosing to listen to this one. Hope we can provide you with some educational, informational value on this evening. Um, we're talking about Kratom. We'll get to that in a little bit, um, but it is Veterans Day, just passed a few days ago. Uh, if you're listening on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, we are re-releasing some episodes there, so there might be a timing delay. So if you're listening to this later, then Veterans Day is probably way in the past and you're wondering what I'm talking about. But Veterans Day just passed in real time, um, and I just want to say thanks to our nation's veterans. And our mission here on the podcast is help promote better mental health therapy options for veterans by promoting access to psychedelic therapies Um, We share the vision to end the stigma of PTSD and depression and provide information on therapeutic alternatives and support for those needing help. I'm recently partnering with the Heroic Hearts Project to try to bring more support for psychedelic therapy um, for veterans who could benefit. So I'm excited for that opportunity. And I also wanna highlight the VA's campaign to reach out to help support veterans. It's well documented that depression suicide are much higher in the veteran population than the civilian population. Uh, military service members fake, face unique challenges with returning to civilian life, including feeling a loss of purpose, separation from friends, and anxiety about what to do next with their lives. Not to mention if they're in combat, perhaps traumatic memories and post-traumatic stress disorder from their experiences. You don't have to be a veteran, however, to support a veteran. If you know a veteran who is recently separated and dealing with depression, anxiety, reach out and talk to them. Encourage them to get help. Uh, The VA has a crisis line and other resources are available. Um, You know, we'll share some in the comments section, but I also just want to share anyone listening, you're not alone. There's no stigma in asking for help. And if you're just a friend or somebody who wants to offer support, it does not hurt to ask people for if they need help. You know, Um, I'm a veteran myself and I didn't have any combat experience, but adaptive civilian life is still different. Um, you know, there is a separation from the community and camaraderie and sometimes a loss of a mission or sense of purpose. That is a feeling that's common for a lot of people get out of the military. So I just want to mention that there is help out there and there's resources available. It's also, of course, getting into fall. We just set the clocks back, I guess, a week ago. It's been pretty dark and wet here in Washington States now that's November. Um, how's the weather in Redding, Chris?
1: <laughs> uh, it's dark and wet here as well. Um, and it's actually been a little bit rainy too. Well, yeah, wet. Um, but I have enjoyed the extra hour of sleep that I get. I'm sure you do too.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that was nice. But um, I don't particularly like the early sunsets.
1: Yeah, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that they'll do away with daylight savings completely because I'm tired of changing the clocks back and forward all the time.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's much evidence to support the clock change from a scientific standpoint. Uh, it seems to do a lot more harm than good from everything I've read. Anyways, mental health focus podcast. Um, I want to mention seasonal effectiveness disorder, SAD. SAD affects 5% of Americans, although I've seen some estimates as high as 10%. So the numbers vary depending on what you're looking at. Um, many people who suffer from SAD do reside in the Pacific Northwest in Northern California, where Chris and I happen to reside. Um, the main factors are reduced levels of daylight that contribute to biochemical imbalances in the brain. Um, but it isn't just northern states that suffer from SAD. Besides decreases in daylight hours, areas with excessive seasonal fog or rain, are also areas with a high prevalence of sad, including states like the Carolinas, Alabama, and Louisiana. Uh, It's strongly associated as well with major depressive disorder, with the main features being increased sleep and daytime drowsiness, loss of interest in activities, social withdrawal and increased sensitivity to rejection, low energy level of fatigue, um, which seems to be linked to higher levels of melatonin production in the winter, Uh, problems with focus or concentration and weight gain, some tips for dealing with SAD include keeping a consistent routine, especially around exercise, sleep, nutrition, and social habits, and ensuring exposure to sunlight. And there are pharmacotherapy options available if you consult your physician and get a prescription. Um, one of the biggest questions I always have about SAD is how do you really ensure exposure to UV light when you don't live in a place that allows you to get UV light, such as? northern climates in the winter where there's not enough sun exposure and the sun is at a very low angle when even it is out. Andrew Huberman human Huberman Labs talks about his six pillars of mental health and uh, UV light is one of them. Sun exposure, you know, he talks about the benefits of getting sunlight in the morning. But if you don't live in a place that has that option in the winter, um, there are sad lamps out there which have a higher degree of UV light than traditional light bulbs do that are supposed to help combat the winter blues and mimic natural sunlight i'm looking into sort of the best sad lamps and providing recommendations and future content what are your thoughts on sad lamps yourself chris do you use one
1: uh, i don't personally use one but i have family members that use them and they you know say that uh it's about 50 50 you know i have one family member that really says they benefit from it. And uh, another one that uh, is kind of on the fence about it. But, you know, I, I truly believe that the the sad lamps that have more uh, UV exposure mimic the sun better, and, and they actually help produce vitamin D, which is important in um, helping with our mental health. So, you know, if I were to recommend someone get a sad lamp, I would, I would try to you know, get one that has uh, more ultraviolet exposure so you can get that benefit of vitamin D. Uh, Cause there are those sad lamps out there, like you said, that are just, you know, bright lights and not really uh, emitting much uh, ultraviolet light at all.
0: Yeah, I happen to use one that's called Be Happy sitting on my desk. Uh, I haven't read much about this brand. I think it's more of a budget brand, but I'll talk about my own experiences. I don't know, we'll see. I'm trying to use it more this winter. Uh, cause last winter I got it, but I never really set it up to use it. So I'll let everybody know how it goes. I, I can't read anything yeah. about reviews for this brand. It's not very common, I guess.
1: <laughs> and it's always good to take a vitamin D supplement during the, you know, dark, dark period of the year.
0: That is true. Yep. Anyways, we're going to talk about Kratom for this podcast, let Chris kick it off with talking about uh, what Kratom is and where it comes from.
1: Yeah, so, so Kratom is a, it's a tropical tree that's native to Southeast Asia and its leaves have been used for centuries for medicinal purposes. Um, There are many different types of Kratom strains. Um, Each strain has a different set of effects. Some are uh, powerful sedatives and painkillers and others are better for boosting mood or energy. I'm gonna give you a brief overview of of the three primary uh, Kratom strains. Um, There's the the red vein Kratom. This strain is known for its calming and pain relieving effects. Uh, It's often used as a sleep aid or to help with management of chronic pain. There's also a green vein kratom. Uh, this strain provides a balanced mix of energy and relaxation. Um, it's often used to help with anxiety and depression. And then you have on the the opposite end, a white vein uh, kratom. And this strain uh, is mainly known for its stimulating effects. And it's often used as a mood enhancer or to help increase focus and productivity. Um, there are many other uh, major kratom varieties that are uh, named after their source, uh, such as white Borneo, which is a white kratom from the island of Borneo. Uh, while red Bali is a red kratom from Bali, an island in Indonesia. Uh, Some strains are named after the unique leaf shape, uh, such as elephant and horn kratom. With the strains, it's kind of difficult, you know, because there's, there's discussion about how they, they produce different effects and, you know, Colby and I were kind of discussing this uh, earlier and we'll get into the active uh, ingredient uh, here shortly, but As far as, as far as what we know, scientifically, you know, there, there's only, uh, one main active component, uh, drug in these different strains. Um, so, you know, what causes the differences in these strains, as far as effects is kind of unknown at this point. Uh, It may be that, you know, there's, there's some unknown active ingredients that haven't been discovered yet that are. You know, in a white versus a, a red strain, or it it could simply be that there's just a higher amount of uh, active ingredient in in the darker strains. Some sites some sites mention that if you rotate kratom strains, that it can ward off tolerance. Um, uh, but that is just anecdotal evidence. And let's see, I'm going to talk a little bit about the pharmacology. So uh, the leaves of Kratom uh, trees, they contain uh, two major psychoactive ingredients, uh, mitragynine and 7-hydroxy mitragynine. These compounds interact with the brain's mu, kappa and deltoid opioid receptors. Uh, They produce both stimulant effects in low doses and sedative effects in high doses. Uh, both nitrogenine and seven hydroxy they activate the mu opioid receptors, but they do not appear to be associated with significant respiratory depression, uh, like the traditional opioids do. Um, uh, it, it does not uh, recruit B arrestin at the mu receptor, which is responsible for the mechanism of opioid toxicity. Mitrogenine uh, also appears to bind to alpha two adrenergic receptors, serotonin receptors and uh, dopamine T receptors, uh, which may cause the stimulant effects. Kratom's pharmacology is complex and its effects can vary, not only depending on the dose, but also on the strain and the individual user. In low doses, Kratom acts as a stimulant, producing increased energy, alertness, and sociability. In higher doses, it acts as a sedative, producing feelings of relaxation and euphoria. Uh, Kratom has also been used to manage chronic pain and opioid withdrawal symptoms, and some report using it as an antidepressant uh, because of its activity on serotonin receptors.
0: Here's a question I'm sure is on the minds of many listeners. What is the current legal status of Kratom in the United States?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's kind of a mixed bag. So uh, Kratom is it's legal in most states in the United States. Uh, the U S uh, Drug Enforcement Administration announced plans in 2016 to temporarily classify uh, Kratom as a schedule one controlled substance. Uh, However, this decision was met with strong opposition, including public demonstrations that were organized by the American Kratom Association, petitions, uh, and calls by Congress to overrule the decision. Uh, The DEA later withdrew its intent to schedule Kratom after receiving backlash from the public and lawmakers, although then the FDA Commissioner Scott Leah released a strongly worded statement about its abuse potential. The importation and exportation of Kratom in the United States was banned in 2014. So people that are shipping it into the U.S. Uh, currently are operating within a gray legal market. There are a few states uh, and cities where Kratom is banned or regulated. It It's illegal in It's basically legal in all states except uh, illegal in Alabama, illegal in Arkansas, Indiana, Vermont, and Wisconsin. And then it's also banned in 16 countries. So it's important, uh, you know, to note the legal status of kratom is subject to change and it's always important to check with your Local authorities before purchasing or using Kratom. Colby, would you like to uh, give us some information about the side effects of Kratom?
0: The use of Kratom has been associated with several side effects, including nausea, vomiting, and constipation. It can also be addictive and has been linked to several cases of liver damage. Therefore, it's important to consult with a healthcare professional before using Kratom for medicinal purposes. The effects of kratom ingestion typically begin within five to 10 minutes and persist for two to four hours. In traditional medicine, in Southeast Asia it has been used to relieve musculoskeletal pain and increase energy, appetite, and sexual desire in ways similar to cot or cathinone or coca leaf. Both leaves of the tree and extracts have been used to treat cough, diarrhea, and intestinal infections. Kratom leaves are also used in Thailand as intestinal deworming agents. And then a drink called a four by one hundred is a popular ice cocktail in Thailand. Uh this is prepared several different ways, but generally contains a mix of Kratom leaves or powder mixed with cough syrup or diphenhydramine or Benadryl and codeine and soda.
1: <laughs> kind of sounds like purple drink. Sounds like purple drink.
0: <laughs> it does. I don't think that's a safe thing to be consuming. Uh, It sounds like a club drink. I didn't read a lot about it, but I I would not recommend trying this cocktail. Probably not a good idea. No. Kratom products in the U.S. typically contain anywhere from 2 to 6 grams of dried leaf per dose, with doses rarely exceeding 8 grams. However, kratom products are unregulated, and doses can vary widely in potency. As mentioned earlier, lower doses of kratom of 1 to 5 gram of raw leaves produce mostly stimulant effects, while higher doses of 5 to 15 gram produce opioid-like effects, including not just pain relief, but also some of the side effects of opioids like nausea, itching, constipation, low blood pressure, tachycardia, sweating, and increased urination. There's also a couple case reports of rhabdomyolysis from the use of kratom.
1: Is, is Kratom safe and effective, Colby? What do you think?
0: Kratom is being investigated by the NIH currently for its potential to treat chronic pain and opioid withdrawal, and opioid use disorder. Uh, but as of 2019, the FDA stated there is no evidence it is safe or effective in treating any condition. Uh, there wasn't much in natural medicines about it either, which is a comprehensive database for natural products. If you are looking into whether kratom is safe or not, one article you might find on the internet is a story from 2018 in which the FDA released its first ever mandatory recall uh, for all food products containing powdered kratom manufactured, processed, and packaged or held by Triangle Pharma LLC after several lots were found to contain salmonella in an outbreak that affected 28 people in 20 different states. Uh, this is said as the only time the FDA has ever issued a mandatory recall of a food product. And it came after the manufacturer refused to comply with the agency's request to conduct a voluntary recall. So most manufacturers comply with a voluntary recall. Apparently they did not. So that's why the FDA went the nuclear option and issued a mandatory recall of their products. Um, There are also case reports of kratom causing cholecystitis and acute liver injury, as well as seizures and encephalopathy. The exact mechanism of how kratom causes these acute adverse effects is yet to be identified. The typical side effects of kratom, as we mentioned before, include nausea, vomiting, constipation, increased urination, dry mouth, tachycardia, and high blood pressure, hypertension, Uh, But long-term use of Kratom has been associated with withdrawal and dependency symptoms typical to that of other opioids, such as anxiety, tremors, muscle twitching and spasms, diarrhea, and social withdrawal. In a few case reports, Kratom withdrawal has been correlated with suicidal ideation. It has been cited that up to 50% of users who take Kratom for a period of at least six months become physiologically dependent on it long-term. So that means that the patients actually have physical symptoms of withdrawal. Um, there is a difference between people that might have psychological dependence, which means that they have a lifestyle where you know they take their Kratom every day and that becomes a habit or part of their routine. Um, but physiological means their body actually manifests withdrawal reactions when they don't have it. So this drug potentially could cause both of those. Um, Reactions and the physiological are probably the more significant because it's actually changing your body and you're experiencing symptoms from it. The CDC reports that case reports of kratom toxicity are on the rise. There were 600 kratom-related calls to U.S. poison control centers from 2010 to 2015, but 1,200 cases in a two-year span alone from 2015 to 2017 um, indicating the strong increase in interest around the product that just occurred over the last two years. And you have twice the number of cases in two years as you had in five years. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, according to the FDA, there have been at least 36 deaths associated with the use of Kratom products. Although excluding the salmonella contamination-related cases in 2018, most other fatalities involved multiple substance use.
1: Hey, Colby, can you let us know, um, what about Kratom uh, showing up on drug tests? I
0: in there, because we, we haven't talked a lot about drug testing, um, about other substances we've discussed on the show. And Kratom being an opioid, some might worry about whether it's going to show up in a drug test or not. But drug testing for Kratom alkaloids is very uncommon. Uh, common five to six panel tests don't screen for it. And while there are some specialty tests on the market that claim to test for it, it's generally not something that is added onto a workplace drug screen. The Federal Workplace Drug Testing Program only recently added semi-synthetic opioids to its panel. Um, It's now testing for oxycodone, hydromorphone, and hydrocodone. It used to just test for morphine by itself, and, um, and federal workplace drug screenings right now do not routinely test for synthetic opioids like fentanyl and derivatives. So it's still possible, perhaps, for people that use Kratom to have a positive drug test for semi-synthetic opioids. Um, It has been reported that the 7 hydroxymitragenine metabolite can cause false positive results for the methadone metabolite, EDDP. So that's something to keep in mind. As well as the pharmacokinetics and metabolism of Kratom alkaloids are still being studied. According to a 2015 study from Thailand, the elimination half-life of mitragynine, which is of course the primary phytochemical in kratom, was found to be about 24 hours and it followed a simple linear two compartment kinetic model. Uh, This means with a half-life of 24 hours, mitragynine would be expected to be entirely cleared from the body after four to six days. Uh, Most people online commented on this article said they were surprised by these findings because they thought that the effects of kratom don't last anywhere near 24 hours. Um, I think there's a couple explanations to keep in mind. One is it appears that the 7 mitragynine component is more responsible for the pharmacologic effects of kratom rather than mitragynine itself. Uh, the 7 mitragynine metabolite only is 2% of the kratom alkaloid content but it has a potency that is 30 to 45 times higher than mitragenine itself, and 17 times higher than morphine. So if we could isolate this, it'd be a pretty potent substance. Uh, it may have a shorter half-life, although I could not find any legitimate references to confirm this. Uh, the other factor is that in the pharmacokinetic trial, participants were using a standardized preparation of kratom tea. And it's likely that preparation pay, plays a significant role in the variability of pharmacokinetics of kratom, as does the particular strain. Uh, another finding of the pharmacokinetic trial was that very little my tragedy was eliminated unchanged in the urine, only about 0.14% of the total kratom content. So that indicates that kratom alkaloids are very extensively metabolized in the liver to other metabolites most of which we still don't really know about in much detail. We know there's at least 40 other alkaloids in kratom that have not been extensively studied either, um, besides metragenine. So kind of like cannabis, you're talking about a whole plant here that has a lot of different compounds. And maybe there's some kind of entourage effect where other compounds enhance the effect of the primary compounds um, itself makes up about 66% of the total alkaloid components. So there's, again, somewhere around 30%, we don't really know what is in it because we know that 2% is that 7-hydroxymetragynine, but what is the rest of kratom? We don't really have a good answer to that. We cannot find any data on the bioavailability of kratom, um, how well it's absorbed orally, but we do know. It's absorbed pretty rapidly and has an effect within minutes. I found online there's a site called Happy Hippo that claims to sell kratom potentiators to boost bioavailability by delaying breakdown of the alkaloids within the GI tract. There's a strawberry-flavored product that contains medium-chain triglycerides and agmatine sulfate, which is a precursor to L-arginine that is often found in pre-workout supplements. This particular site even mentions mixing kratom with pre-workout. Um, I don't really want to recommend that, but there might be some rationale for it since kratom is a stimulant at low doses, but I don't think there's, in general, enough evidence to suggest these potentiator substances or anything more than just snake oil.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, with it being heavily metabolized by the liver, you know, be careful if you drink and... If you have liver disease, you probably don't want to be messing with uh, this stuff. Uh, so, Colby, we, di- we talked about um, Kratom overdoses, uh, which have been on the rise. How do you treat a Kratom overdose? Does naloxone reverse the effects of Kratom?
0: Yeah, although metragenine is only a partial mu agonist, it seems reasonable in practice to use naloxone for acute overdoses, <laughs> although actual data on this is pretty sparse. Um, There are cases of N-acetylcysteine being used for acute liver injury treatment, and anti-epileptics may be necessary in cases where patients suffer from convulsions from toxicity. It is recommended, most importantly, to control the patient's immediate symptoms and then contact the local poison control for further guidance if overdose is suspected. The minimum toxic dose is not yet established, but it appears that doses over 8 grams are likely to cause Uh, multi-organ system toxicity based on just case reports.
1: And and we know with opioids that, you know, the most common uh, emergency they're going to encounter is most likely going to be respiratory depression. So, you know, they may need rescue breathing initially until, you know, paramedics can take over if uh, naloxone is not Mm -hmm. available. What can you tell us about drug interactions, Colby?
0: So literature says kratom alkaloids may inhibit CYP3A4, CYP2D6, and P-glycoprotein, just according to limited amount of clinical research that's been conducted. And this increases the risk of raising the therapeutic concentration of drugs like antidepressants and deltaism, a calcium channel blocker, and causing toxicities with those drugs. There's limited evidence on the clinical relevance of this, but I found a chart with more info on this i'm going to post in the footnotes uh 50 of all drugs are metabolized by either cyp 3 a 4 or cyp 2 d 6 so it's likely there's a lot more interactions than it's actually listed on the charts but again we don't really know the clinical relevance of those interactions yet um, they could be significant but not enough data on it uh we do know that you know kratom is a substance that's a CNS depressant. So benzodiazepines, opioids, alcohol should definitely be avoided with the use of Kratom. Stimulants might interact as well, because talked about Kratom, uh, the mitragynine is a stimulant at low doses. So possibly should be avoided with stimulants to not, um uh, risk hypertension.
1: And, and one thing I will mention is, uh, there's a strain called train wreck that literally is all of the, str- all of the different strains combined. So it seems like a, a massive, uh, drug interaction itself. So I, if it were me, I would try to avoid, uh, the train wreck, uh, strain. I've never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Colby is is Kratom really a harm reduction strategy? What conclude here with, with Kratom, is it better than using opioids?
0: That's a really good question. Um, you know, just some data about 2 million people in the U S consume Kratom annually, uh, a vast majority of them are 18 to 40 years old with white men being the largest demographic background and the most common indication for use for Kratom, according to surveys, is for pain relief. Um, according to 8,000 Kratom users in a cross-section survey conducted by the American Kratom Society, 50% cited that they use Kratom to stop or reduce opioid use. Um, so that's also a significant amount of pain relief is people who maybe are taking it for opioid use disorder or to try to taper their opioid dose. Opioid dose. Uh, prescription drugs. So 80% of users in this survey also stated that they experienced increased energy and improved mood and decreased pain while using Kratom. And a study of rodents being administered regular doses of mitragynine showed that they were less likely to self-administer heroin compared to rodents given the control, indicating at least in animal models, Kratom use could curb the use of potentially stronger opioids. And we know that buprenorphine, which is also known as subutex and the active ingredient in suboxone, which contains buprenorphine and naloxone, um, buprenorphine is a partial mu agonist. So it provides pain relief while having a lower risk of respiratory depression since it doesn't fully bind to the mu receptor. And it also is indicated for opioid use disorder. So maybe mitragenine has a similar pharmacology to buprenorphine, and we know that over a hundred thousand people in the u s are dying every year from opioid overdoses, mostly from fentanyl um, so that's over two hundred and seventy deaths a day. I heard this on a podcast recently that think about the fact that one like jet airliner worth of people is crashing and dying every day from fentanyl like that's a significant problem and we still don't talk about it enough i feel like in this country about all the death that's occurring some death has occurred from kratom as we mentioned before but the risk ratio might show that less people are dying of kratom than fentanyl that's my answer to that but like anything we just don't have a lot of data there's not a lot of head-to-head trials if you want to talk about this scientifically you would need to say um let's compare Kratom to fentanyl or compare Kratom to Dilaudid and see what the number needed to treat and number needed to harm is, what's the risk-benefit ratio, Um, you'd have to have a little bit more clinical data, and we just don't have it. And we also don't know the validity of the products people are consuming. Like, are they good products they're getting? Um, Is there contamination? And the other issue is we don't know the ideal dose you know, maybe it's individual dependent, but I really can't find much of anything on dosing to provide someone as a recommendation. Um, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, so I mean, one thing that is so dangerous about fentanyl is that it's dosed at such a small amount. I mean, we're we're talking in, in micrograms, you know, microgram, uh, the which could be you know, the amount on the tip of a pencil, uh, could kill you. And, you know, being able to determine, you know, what dose you're putting in your body. I think that that's one of the reasons that fentanyl is so deadly. And then when you look at a drug like Kratom, they're, they're taking it in, in grams, you know, so they're taking several capsules full of this stuff, full of this leafy material. And, uh, there's just a huge difference in, in, in potency there. Fentanyl has been so deadly because it's it's the most potent uh, opioid that we've really ever had on the black market, uh, even on the market in general. Um, but, you know, I think the, the most important thing that we can really tell people at this point is always carry naloxone, um, you know, because it is available over the counter now. Uh, It can save lives, Uh, you know, these 270 deaths a day don't don't need to happen if uh, we have antidotes that can that can prevent that. So I think the bigger point here is is um, not whether one one product's better than the other, but how can we how can we mitigate Deaths when, when we have a, a medication that can reverse these overdoses and they can be used more safely. Certainly, you know, um, I think that the the size and dose has a big big part of it part to do with the death rate uh, difference. And that's about as much as I'll say about that. <laughs>
0: That's a good point. Um, And I'm interested to see what the NIH, it sounds like they're really going to study Kratom in detail. Um, That's kind of just kicking off a few years ago and probably don't have any results yet, but
1: yeah, there might be some novel, you know, therapies that can relieve pain and not have all the negative, you know, respiratory depression issues and drowsiness issues. So there, there is some potential out there that we'll find a good, Treatment that's, you know, stronger than ibuprofen and Tylenol that we could treat pain with without having to resort to, you know, the more, the older, uh, more deadly opioids.
0: Yeah, well, we'll just have to see. Um, We always say things need to be studied more. I feel like, I think you joked about that. That's always the answer. In this case, it might legitimately be the answer because there really aren't any studies. I mean, I...
1: Right, nobody's studying it. Couldn't find anything.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. That that's the problem, and and this is one of those cases where I I really I I don't think it's a joke at in this instance because I mean, uh, it, it's it's basically just a, a gray market uh product, and nobody really has reason to study it other than these these few companies that are trying to you know, study it to see how they might be able to treat pain in a more effective manner. But um, yeah, it's kind of like we're, we're living in the dark ages still. So it would be nice if, if more people started to study Kratom and learn more about it.
0: They do have a powerful lobby, though. I mean, they, they kept the FDA from banning it. The FDA did, right a few years ago, as we mentioned, wanted to ban it. Uh, and the lobby stood up and said no right such a fuss that the FDA reversed its decision yeah
1: right yeah I think that was one of the main reasons that the DEA uh, decided not to schedule it as a schedule one was because there were scientists you know um, that were arguing that you know they're doing studies on it and that they believe that they could come up with uh, better alternatives to opioids with with Kratom so we'll see
0: yeah, we often, I think, um, are afraid of change, but then we don't recognize the problem with the status quo. I mean, the status quo is a problem, and I guess change is scary, but is it scarier than what's happening now? Like,
1: <laughs> Right.
0: <laughs> Lastly, kratom does appear in animal models to cross the placenta, and numerous studies show neonatal abstinence syndrome may result in newborns whose mothers are exposed to kratom during pregnancy. So. Definitely recommend avoiding use of Kratom in pregnancy at this point. Uh, The next topic we're gonna talk about is Ibogaine, which comes from the Iboga plant from Africa. I think this ties in well with Kratom because the state of Kentucky, there's an article I'll post, uh, recently announced that they might be looking into funding research on Ibogaine for the use of opioid use disorder in Kentucky using some of the money that they got from settlements from the wholesalers, the opioid manufacturers, and the pharmacies that were sued by the government during the opioid crisis. So states have some money that they're looking to spend and Kentucky might be spending it on research on Ibogaine, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, Ibogaine um, seems to have quite a bit of potential for treating substance use disorder uh, in general as well. So, yeah, it'll be a good topic to discuss next.
0: Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, like and subscribe down below and leave a comment or question if you'd like. Thank you. This podcast is presented for educational and informational purposes only. As licensed pharmacists, we do not advocate for the self-administration of products designed to be given only under medical supervision, nor do we recommend for or against the use of products listed as Schedule One under Drug Enforcement Administration guidance nor do you recommend using prescription-only products that have not been prescribed to you by a licensed prescriber. We assume no responsibility for any legal repercussions that may occur to the individual after the use of federally illicit substances.